You know, the most uh, loved and uh, I think the most enduring stories, whether it's in movies, whether it's in books, are stories of heroes and heroines. People who rise up in the face of incredible odds, whatever the sacrifice, to do remarkable good. When everybody else is afraid, when everybody else is too consumed with their own interests, these outstanding individuals rise and stand in the gap for other people. You know, the entire genre of action movies has been so popular for that very reason. But heroines and, and heroes aren't just in action movies. They're, they're in dramas, they're in romances, they're in pretty much every genre of literature and movies that there is. Although not every story has a hero. And we call those stories tragedies or at least boring, right? All right, so, because, why? Because we want to believe that there's something inspiring within humanity, and really within ourselves. We, we have a hope that ordinary people can actually have potential to become something extraordinary. And that's why, you know, the whole superhero genre has been so incredibly popular for so very long. That's why war stories, that's why great epic stories capture our imagination. And it's especially the true stories of real men and women who who rose up and who stood in the midst of some sort of need and they were able to come to that occasion with courage and with sacrifice in order to do what needed to be done and to make a tremendous difference, whether it was in the world, whether it was uh, that they made a tremendous difference in their community or in their family, or maybe just that they made a huge difference in the life of one person who needed somebody to care enough that they would actually step in and help. And I think that the popularity of these stories really reflects, it reflects that deep desire that lives within all of us, that, that we want our lives to matter. And yet I think we often wonder whether we really do matter. I think that we kind of live in, in a tension between two voices in our heads. There's the one voice that's telling us that we're nothing special. There's the one voice that's just telling us how plain and ordinary we are, how unremarkable we are. And then there's another voice in our heads that keeps telling us that while we may seem ordinary, that there's more to us, you know? Like there, there's just... There's something there beneath the surface that has yet to be unlocked, that we have untapped potential for good within us. And I wonder, which one of those two voices do you believe the most? I wonder which one of those two voices troubles you more. The thought that you're plain and ordinary or the thought that maybe there's untapped potential within you? For good. You see, over the next six weeks, what I want to do is I'm going to take you into the biblical stories of 
some remarkable individuals that we all look up to because of the way that they heard and answered God's call to rise and and to take on whatever problem or challenge or purpose that God was calling them to. Now, in each case, you're going to see that there were risks to be taken. There were sacrifices that had to be made. There there was courage that had to be summoned. And, And in each case, the kind of people that they were and the actions that they took elevated everybody around them. And so um, the premise really of this whole series that I'm beginning today is that God has a unique calling for each of us to impact our world for good. I really believe that. And when we rise to answer that call, then we begin to actually unleash our potential to glorify God in a greater way with our lives. And I think that's exciting. I think that's an exciting thought to to think about living a purposeful, praiseworthy life that's going to bring God glory, a life that he has called you to. And And I wanna clarify, as I get started with this, I think it's important to clarify the difference between a God calling and a vocational calling. Some people's God calling is their profession, but not everybody's. And I think for for many of us, God calls us into action and the way that he does that and into the purpose that he calls us may have little or nothing to do with the way we earn a living. And so we may, I mean, we, we always need to serve God. We always need to glorify God in our work, regardless of what we do for a living. But your greatest influence, your greatest impact on the world for the kingdom of God may happen outside of work. Now, the stories of scripture have a recurring theme. And that theme is that God brings people into the world with purpose. God always brings people into the world with purpose. Psalm 138, verse eight, for instance, says the Lord will fulfill his what? His purpose for me, right? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Uh, Ephesians chapter two and verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he, what? Prepared in advance for us to do, right? This is about God foreseeing your life and what he wanted to do with you. So God made you uniquely you. And he made me uniquely me. And and he wants to touch the world. He wants to touch the lives of other people in specific ways through you, through your life, in ways that only you can do. See, God doesn't create people in cookie cutter mode. I don't know if any of you made Christmas cookies over the Christmas holidays, you know, these are the little cookie cutter things and you make all the little stuff, they all look the same. God doesn't make people that way. You know, we're not cookie cutter. God forms people individually. He shapes people individually and he does that for a reason and he places us exactly where he wants us to be in order to be able to receive the special call that he has on our life. Now, every hero does experience 
a call to action. And that's important to think about, right? If you think about the stories, if you think about the movies, every hero has a moment when they're called into action. And I'm talking about a moment where we're called to step in, we're called to to step up into the circumstances or into the needs that are around us and make a difference. That's what I'm talking about by the call here. And sometimes we're called to rise up to a singular moment. And sometimes the calling is for a long-term purpose. And both of those are legitimate callings of God. Uh, I received the latter kind of calling, the long-term purpose kind of calling, back um, in my mid-20s. And it was a calling that came to me in a way that was incredibly distinct and unmistakable. I can tell you, I was not expecting it to come. In fact, when it came, I was driving down the freeway in Dallas, heading home. And, and, and then this thing, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking particularly about God at the moment or, or about the bigger purpose of my life. But out of the blue, I had a very, very distinct sense that God called me in that moment and said, Chris, I have something specific that I want you to do. Some purpose that I have for your life that I want to use you for. And um, at the moment, what that would be wasn't made clear. But it was so clear that in a, for the, the next few minutes, I actually had this feeling of like invincibility. Like I felt like okay, God's got this purpose for me. I'm not gonna die. Now, nothing is going to happen to me until I accomplish this purpose that God has for my life. You know, and, and then as I'm driving down the freeway thinking this, I'm, I had to rein myself back. You know, I had to realize, look, wait, wait, Chris, God has the right to change his mind. <laughs> you know, he, he can change his mind if, if I decide to be stupid and, and he can use somebody else. Um, but that was the call that sent me into vocational ministry. Eventually. And I don't know, but there might be somebody right here sitting in this room right now that God is going to call into some sort of vocational ministry. Maybe to be a pastor, maybe to be a missionary, maybe to serve in a church in some other way or some kind of parachurch ministry. I don't know, but that very well may be God's call for you. At the same time, I want to say that while I did receive you know, a very, very special call in that moment, God has called me many other times since to some particular action in some particular moment. And, um, and I think that is important to understand too, because again, there's sometimes the calling is for a moment, sometimes the call is for a long purpose. But you know what? Rarely do you hear people talk about receiving a call from God unless it has to do with ministry or you know, vocational ministry. And so I wonder, is it that God's call is only for those of us who stand on you know, this end of the room? And deep down in my heart, I believe that that answer to that question is no. God's call is not just for those of us who are in some sort of vocational ministry. In fact, every one of us are called to live a heroic life in one way or another. God calls everyone that he saves, everyone that he adopts as his child to be a difference maker in this world. 
And so he has a purposeful plan for you, for your one and only life. He wants to do something through you. So the next question is, well, how might you receive God's call? How might you know what it is that God wants you to do? Is is God gonna wake you up in the middle of the night calling your name? Is he going to use a fortune cookie? (laughs) Is he going to use a guidance counselor to to give you your call? Is is he going to use a horoscope? Is he he going to use a burning bush? I mean, how is he going to do this? And I think sometimes um, when we think about a divine call, we tend to think of something mysterious. You know, like we tend to think of it in terms of like some kind of weird or supernatural experience that we would have. And, and sometimes it is. I mean, it was a weird experience I had on the road that day. But it's not always like that. In fact, I would say most often, God's call to action is something that happens in much less sensational ways. See, God is incredibly creative. You've probably noticed that about him. And he's incredibly creative about the ways that he leads us and the ways that he draws us in and the ways that he positions us and places us and sets us up to be difference makers in this world. And so this series, this sermon series, is going to unfold as I unpack several different contexts in which we may find our call to rise to be difference makers as God intends, okay? And today, I just want to talk about the first, the first context. And that is that you may get your calling through crisis, all right? This is something that happens very often in Scripture, that people got a call from God to action in the middle of some sort of crisis. And one of the most notable examples of that would be the life of Daniel uh, in the Old Testament that we read about in the book that bears his name. And Daniel was one who was called by God to the greater purpose of his life in the middle of crisis. And so we're gonna look a little bit at Daniel this morning. The way that his story opens is this in chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. All right, needless to say, this is a colossal crisis point. Not just for the nation of Israel, But for Daniel personally, he, we'll go on to learn, he lived in the city of Jerusalem. He was a member of one of the noble families, in fact. And so there he is. He's living a life of position. He's living a life of privilege. And all of a sudden, the bottom just drops out of his life. His his country is invaded by this powerful empire. There's bloodshed. There's death. His home is ransacked and plundered. And and everywhere is chaos. Everywhere is pain. Everywhere is, is terror and despair. And in the middle of all of that, Daniel is caught up in the torrent of this incredible crisis. I just want you to imagine for a moment, what if the U.S. were invaded? God forbid. But I just want you to try to imagine how you would feel if the U.S. 
were invaded, let's say by China or by Russia, and they marched into Washington, D.C., and they took our president and our whole Congress and either killed or imprisoned them and set up their own government, and you, just imagine, not only does that happen, but you're living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and you're a member of one of those powerful political families. That's what happened to Daniel. The crisis couldn't have been any bigger. And it goes on to say, verse three, then the king, that would be Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy king, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel is probably a teenager when this happens. And so he and his friends are are locked away in some sort of prison camp, having no idea what's about to happen to them. And then the next thing he knows, he's being shipped off across the, the, the way to the distant land of Babylonia, back to the capital city of the invaders. And of course, what you just read is that the plan was for total assimilation to happen to these guys. That was what was going to happen. They were going to be totally assimilated into Babylonian beliefs, Babylonian culture, Babylonian ways. And here Daniel was, a young man who had grown up as a Jew. He had grown up worshiping the the true creator God, who in fact had a special relationship with his people. And now he and his friends are being forced to give up their Jewish identity and to meld into this foreign pagan society and to actually become part of the government machinery. And these are the people who had just destroyed his own homeland. And and even their names are taken away from them. And they're given new names, names that connected them with the Babylonian idols, the false gods of the Babylonians. And so really, guys, this is, it's like being totally erased. Like his entire identity is being erased and he's being given a new identity that he didn't want and he didn't ask for. And it's really an attempt at at brainwashing. I mean, think about, like, if you know anything about World War II, think about what the Nazis did to the young men of Austria after they invaded Austria. And they took those young men out of Austria and they took them back to Germany and made them part of the Hitler Youth. That's very, very similar to what's happening here. And so they must have been terrified, don't you think? I mean, must have been terrified, must have been angry, must have, have, have wondered why in the world was this happening to them. And, and you know, we all know that sometimes life can be like that. I'm talking about Daniel's crisis, but I bet you've had a few crises in your life. 
You may be going through a crisis right now. You may have one that's coming down the pike. We all know how crisis can hit and how it can feel like the bottom is just kind of falling out from underneath you. There are moments like that. Maybe you lose your job or you lose your health or you lose your spouse or you lose your spouse to your best friend. I mean, there's just so many ways that life can hit us and, and suddenly it's like the glass floor beneath us has shattered and we are free falling. See, God sometimes puts us into the pressure cooker of crisis to engage us and to prepare us and to lift us to be the heroic difference makers that are needed in the moment. Right there in the middle of this crisis, this is what verse 17 says. To these four young men, God gave what? That's right. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 20 says that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. As the story goes on, you see that Daniel and his friends never gave up their belief in the true God. They refused to do that. And so they never gave up their belief in God or the worldview and the values that come with that belief, even though, even in the middle of this experience of being taught, being basically brainwashed and learning all of this distorted information that they were being force-fed by the Babylonians. But God enabled them because of their commitment to him, they're able to understand this stuff. They're able to take it in and process it. They're able to understand the political systems and, and the broken ways of this world that they were being taught while at the same time not being corrupted by them because they were committed first and foremost to God and their belief in him. So they're not corrupted by it. And instead they learn how to adapt and they learn how to survive without compromising who they were. See, in crisis... In crisis, God is equipping you for your purpose. He's equipping me for my purpose when I am in crisis. He is shaping you. He is forming you. He is shaping you and drawing out of you all of those things that are needed by the people around you. He's drawing out that untapped potential that was buried within you that you didn't know you had, making you resourceful in ways that you didn't realize you could be. He's helping you discover new strength, new skills that you didn't know you had and you haven't ever used before in order for you to be able to become the person that the world needs you to be. Maybe the person your family needs you to be. Maybe the person your church needs you to be. But he is shaping and forming you for that purpose. So in crisis, we kind of find ourselves in a position where we have to make a choice. We either are going to trust God and adapt and we're going to find ourselves actually getting stronger or we break. Those are our choices. 
And I know what makes crisis so frustrating is that it interrupts our plans, doesn't it? It interrupts our plans, it changes our plans, and we don't like that. But the thing is that while we are trying to make progress forward, God is more interested in making progress inward. And that's why he's okay with shaking up our plans sometimes. See, back in um, the mid-90s, very shortly after the Iron Curtain fell, uh, my parents started doing mission work in Russia and Ukraine. And uh, they started asking me pretty quickly after that to, to come join them by you know, doing a short-term mission trip. And, and just coming in and helping for a couple of weeks and stuff. And I, I kept you know, just putting that off and putting it off. But in 1999, the summer of 1999, I felt like God was telling me to go. And so I decided to go, and I did. And um, even though I had to leave behind my five-month-old baby at the time, that was, that was hard to do. Um, but I felt like this was what God wanted me to do, so I did it. And the plan was that my parents were gonna lead the way. Because they were the ones who knew the ropes. They were the ones who, who you know, they, they knew the people, they knew the language, they, and all that stuff. And so they're going to lead the way, and I'm just going to tag along, and I'm going to help as I can. That was the plan. But when we were about to board our connecting flight in Amsterdam to go into St. Petersburg, suddenly we noticed that something was like frighteningly wrong with my dad's eyes. Like his eyes were not synced. And so that was scary. And so we backed off the flight, and instead of heading for St. Petersburg, we headed for the hospital in Amsterdam. And uh, needless to say, this was a bit of a crisis. And so they start running all these tests to try to figure out what in the world's going on with my dad. And um, it was pretty clear, pretty fast, that, that um, he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so now I was faced with a decision. I could either stay there in, in Amsterdam at the hospital with my parents for a couple of weeks and then head home, or I could go on into Russia and Ukraine without them. Now, that was a scary thought for me. But I really felt convicted that God had called me to go on this trip, and he wanted me to carry through with it. And so I did. And I don't have time to tell you this morning about all the things that happened to me on that trip. But let me just say, it was a huge adventure. And that I came back from that trip a different person in a lot of ways. I came back specifically much more reliant on God than I had ever been in my life. I came back from that trip believing, having a very, very clear and powerful sense of God's ability to show up in the middle of crisis. And so, you know, when we have these kinds of experiences like that, we have to remember that God will sometimes allow these things to happen because he is preparing us, he is forming us, he is shaping us. And I can tell you that the things that happened to me on that trip and the growth that I received from those experiences served me well in the crises that I have faced since. See, God allows these crises to come into our lives so that we can step up to a higher level of character, a higher level of faith, 
a higher level of courage and conviction and wisdom so that we are equipped. And these are things that can only be forged in crisis. And the reason that we need those qualities is so that when the next opportunity rolls around, we will be ready to rise up and meet that challenge. See, for Daniel, the next moment that either makes heroes or victims out of us came pretty quickly. The very next chapter, chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a a troubling dream and he's pretty convinced that this is no ordinary dream. He's convinced that this is a divine communication of some sort and he is baffled about what it means. And apparently the king had had such weird dreams before and had not been happy about the interpretations that he had been given by his wise men and basically been failed by their interpretations because this time he ups the ante and he demands that they, that they tell him what the dream was and then interpret it. And then he tacks on a death threat on top of that in case they fail in either one of those counts. And so one of the wise men in chapter two, verse 11 says, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Sometimes the crises just keep coming, don't they? It's just like one crisis after another, kind of like for the Carolina Panthers, just one crisis after another. Just when Daniel and his friends didn't think things could get any worse, this happens. Verse 14, though, says that when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with what? Fear and outrage? No. (laughs) With what? With wisdom and tact, right? Let me ask you something. Where do you think he got that wisdom and tact? I think you're right. Someone said God. But not just from God. Yeah, he got it from God. But when everybody else is panicking, Daniel has wisdom and tact to deal with the situation. Why? Chapter one, verse 17 told us, we read it a few minutes ago. God, yes, gave him wisdom. God gave him understanding. How? Through the previous crisis. When he was being, you know, shipped off to to be taken off and brainwashed into the Babylonian government. That's when God had given him that wisdom and that understanding And so Daniel's relationship with God had seen him through that crisis, but not only had it seen him through the crisis, he had actually developed a a much deeper understanding of people in general and his captors specifically. And because he had developed such wisdom and insight, he had enough credibility with the king that he could actually go to the king and ask for more time for God to reveal the answers to the questions he had and was actually granted that time. So again, Daniel is rising up to the occasion. He's rising up in the middle of crisis to meet the challenge and to protect not only himself, not only his friends, but all of the wise men of Babylon. 
And I want you to notice what he did next, verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so what's happening? In the middle of crisis, Daniel feels convicted that God is calling him to action. God is calling him to act. And so what he does is he calls his friends together to pray. This was Daniel's hour. This was his calling. In that moment, and he is rising to the occasion. See, he could have shrunk in the, in the middle of this. He could have shrunk back. He could have resigned himself to die along with his friends, or he could have you know, tried to run away and hide somewhere. But this was his moment to answer God's call and to rally his friends around the, the God that they had believed in, the God that they had trusted all their lives. And to do that in the middle of a, of a situation in which it seemed like they had been forgotten and abandoned by God in this foreign country. See, in crisis, God is equipping you for your purpose. But it's up to you to step up to the challenge and accept God's call. See, when you're going through crisis, in your own life, I bet that if you especially are a part of our church, you have people around you that you could call who would pray with you and pray for you. But how often do we sit alone in the middle of our anxiety and our burden and we just sit alone, just try to cope, try to deal with it all by ourselves? See, sometimes, guys, God's call to action is simply to rise up and call our friends together around us to pray, especially in times of crisis. But there, there may be other action that he calls us to, but it probably will start with prayer. And it may be in that prayer time that God gives us another call to further action, to, 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 to do something else. He gives us further guidance that we can take and we can rise up and we can answer that call as well. But I think either way you look at it, it had been a rotten day for Daniel. And it had been a day of fear. It had been a day of stress. It had been a day of desperation. And that rotten day turned into a sleepless night. So he continued crying out to God. But as the morning breaks... Daniel's whole state of mind has changed. Verse 19 says that during the night, the mystery was what? Uh, it was revealed. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be the name of, of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. In other words, he disrupts our plans. He deposes kings and raises up others. That's what had happened to him. He gives what? Wisdom. Wisdom to the wise. Knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness. 
and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me what? Wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So in other words, Daniel had a divine breakthrough. And now he is praising God for it, as he should. He is saying, God, you called me. You have, you have equipped me. You have, risen, you have helped cause me to rise up so that I can face this challenge and to deal with this problem. And, and I'm doing it because of your help. And see, as you read this story, this chapter of Daniel's life ends with a feel-good, happy ending. The execution order is lifted. Daniel and his friends are honored and promoted. It's a great, great ending. It doesn't always go so well. But remember, heroes are made in death as well as in life. See, sometimes crisis pushes us into God's calling on our lives. We don't choose it, it chooses us. And it may seem like your life and your life plan has just been like knocked completely off track and it is just not at all what you envisioned and the pressure is mounting and you're feeling all the contrary forces pressing against you and God may use those very, very moments to call you to a response of faith in which you are going to be propelled towards a life that really matters. So we can throw it all away. We can throw the opportunity away in the middle of crisis. We can do that by taking on a victim mentality. We can do that by resigning ourselves to failure. We can do it by trying to run away and hide or we can decide that we're gonna trust God and we're going to adapt and we're gonna keep asking him to show up and we're gonna keep seeking him and asking him to show us how he wants to use us in the middle of this crisis. And he will. And by God's strength, we will be able to rise and to stand and to help others stand, even in the hardest times. So for a next step that we can take, when you find yourself in a crisis, whether it's now or later, open yourself to God's call to action, okay? Just allow yourself to quit worrying and fretting and, and feeling the fear so much to just focus on God and say, God, tell me in this moment, because I believe in you. I believe you are the God who, who calls people and who equips people and empowers people in the middle of crises. And I'm in the middle of a crisis, God. So what do you want to do with me in the middle of this? I read about a woman named Maria She's a midwife, and it's not, it's, by coincidence, we have a Maria in our own church who's a midwife, but this wasn't her. This was a, um, a woman who lives in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco, and um, she was working her shift at a small maternity health center there in the mountains, and a powerful earthquake hit. This was in September. 
And she found herself buried under rubble. She was trapped. She thought she was going to die. And she spent that night feeling completely helpless and hopeless until the next day when some of her colleagues dug her out of the rubble. But here's where the story gets really good. Instead of going to a shelter and taking rest, which would have been very understandable for her to do, she felt such a burden for the pregnant women of that area and their babies, and especially the ones who were on the verge of delivery. And so she refused to go and take rest herself, and instead she rallied the other midwives to go help save lives. And she coordinated helicopter evacuations for almost every pregnant woman in the disaster zone and made sure that they had the urgent care that they needed. There were several points at which she held multiple lives in her hands. And she would step up in each case. In fact, there were two women in particular who actually went into labor right in the middle of the crisis. And Maria, that spurred her to to gather supplies and medicines that she was able to, to salvage out of the wreck of the maternity center and to go and assist those women to deliver their babies. One of them gave birth to twins. You see, history has, pro- has proven, it's proven it time and time again, that crisis will either bring out the worst in you or it will bring out the best in you. And it might even lead you to your greater purpose.